Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Ian. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, so, yeah, like Jared said, um, first I want to thank everyone for sticking out the three weeks here. Um, I know it's been really helpful for me to, to look at this stuff again. And um, you know, what's funny is the whole reason we started this is uh, seems like a bunch of people asked me to to take them through the traditions and. Just because of time, I couldn't uh, do all that with taking people through the steps and everything. And so I said to Jared and Glenn, I said, you know, why don't we do this traditions workshop? We'll open it up to everyone. Um, 50% of those people who asked me to take them through the traditions haven't been to a single one. <laughs> and, you know, what's really interesting is, like, what I was thinking about this afternoon is, like, willingness, really. Um, willingness to grow. Willingness to learn more about Alcoholics Anonymous. Willing to... Um, find out at a deeper level like what this thing is really about and I seem like there's a lot of people who have the willingness uh, to sit down and be coddled and like to let people read them the big book or like take them to coffee or you know and pick them up take them to meetings when it comes time to actually like doing something uh, it seems like the willingness just kind of falls um, so I want to thank you guys for, for coming um I think it's been a good time. <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. I think, uh, you know, just to kind of reiterate, um, you know, the handouts that I put out that you can find on, uh, if you search the uh, a.org, you can find the traditions checklist, and it's, um, it's the personal checklist. It's how, like, I apply the traditions to myself. It's not the group inventory. There is a group inventory on there. Um, you can get a subscription to the Grapevine online, and that's where those PDFs comes from. Um, or you can email me or whatever, find me, and, and I'll get you those. Uh, those are really great. They were, um, Bill wrote them before the 12 and 12 came out. And obviously before it comes of age, and it was when he was kind of trying to sell the traditions, and they would they would show up in, in the grapevine, and people would read about it. And, uh, and then we also obviously have the 12 and 12 AA comes of age, and, a, and AA comes of age, which the traditions and stuff are in as well. And there's a lot of other really great AA history books, which I encourage everyone to read. Um, I haven't read all of them, but I really like Dr. Rob and the Good Old Timers. Uh, it's a pretty easy read. It's not very dry. Uh, and, and I would encourage people to read that. Um, this workshop is not designed to give you um, all the knowledge you need about the traditions. I think it's like the 12 steps. You know, the first time going through is not going to give you all the deepest understanding of the, of the 12 steps. It's really to show you what else is there. And then, and then with this workshop is to go do some research and look for the, for the principles. Um, you know, like I've said before, this is not as Ian sees it. Uh, you know, what I say here is not necessarily, uh, what the tradition means. Please go look and, and find your own, uh, understanding and come up with the, your own understanding of, the, of the, the tradition. We're looking for the spirit of the message, I believe. Uh, if we take it like the letter of the law, we're gonna miss, uh, what we're trying to get accomplished here. And, 
You know, it's like we can't work the steps by reading it off the wall. Um, just like we can't necessarily apply the traditions from reading them off the wall. We have to have an understanding. Uh, so, um, the last couple of weeks we went through the first seven. And really briefly, uh, the first is about the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous coming before my personal desires and ambitions. Um, I have to be willing to set aside the things that I uh, really believe in for the preservation of the fellowship because I'm a small part of a great whole. I can't have personal recovery without the unity of the group. I didn't go knocking or A didn't come knocking on the doors of my apartment and say, Ian, we really need you to get sober. Uh, I came knocking on the doors of AA saying, I really need to get sober. Uh, and I forget that sometimes. Um, I really forget that sometimes. Second tradition is about... Uh, this loving God in our group conscience uh, and trying to maintain a God awareness, uh, letting God speak through us, assuming that we have a well-informed group conscience. It's easy to get any group of drunks together and to talk about something, but that doesn't mean that it's a well-informed group conscience, and it really breaks that out in A Comes of Age, about how the group conscience, everyone should have the uh, the principles and the ideas, um, have a good understanding to make the, the decision. There's a, a thing in service, a service work that uh, everyone gets kind of tired at how slow things go. But it's better that things go slow when a well-informed decision is made versus something is rushed through uh, with an uninformed decision being made. Third tradition is about uh, our only requirement for membership, which is, which is a desire to stop drinking. My belief is you have to have a drinking problem to have a desire to stop drinking. Um, some people believe that it is about this really the spiritual malady. Um, I heard that I missed the group conscience for the meeting tonight, but I heard there was a lively discussion um, where that could have been brought up. I gave a pamphlet to some people. There's a pamphlet uh, called uh, Problems Other Than Alcohol Excerpts, which has some, some things that are pretty clear about our singleness of purpose. And um, once again, look for the spirit of the message. Uh, we're not trying to keep people out of coming to the rooms for guidance and inspiration, um, but the meetings are for alcoholics to participate. Uh, going into the fourth tradition where each group has the right to be wrong, we could really do whatever we want. If We we could have Big Bird uh, share at the podium for all we care, you know. Um, if we wanted, seriously, if we wanted to have a, a meeting that had... Um, that we, you know, would have overeaters share from the podium um, about their overeating illness, we could do that. Uh, it would be this this group's right to do that, and it would be our right to be wrong. Fifth tradition is about each group carrying its own message. Um, the literature talks about each group being a spiritual entity. Uh, I have found, my personal opinion is I have found some meetings to be more of a spiritual entity than others. Uh, I, I kind of think... A lot of that, uh, there's a correlation between uh, how many of the principles that they apply versus how many they don't apply versus opinions they apply. Uh, when we get into our opinions, it gets kind of dangerous. When we stick with principle, it applies to all of us equally. Um, you know, this group's message is uh, God dependence through service, or hope is available through God dependence and service to others. Um, you know, the firing line is pretty similar, and I don't know if Design for a Living has ever actually talked about it, but uh, they're doing the same thing. I know there's a lot of other groups in, in this area that their message is kind of, who knows, um, depending on what day of the week it is. You know, and I think 
you know, like what a lot of people shared at the meeting tonight is, you know, the old timers who've been coming is what they're, what people look forward to is that our meeting is consistent. You know, it's always going to, you're always going to hear about the same stuff in a general way. You know, depending what part of the book we read or depending who's speaking on Tuesday, you're always going to hear really about the same thing, which is that hope is available here and that you don't have to drink again. There's other meetings that are not like that. Um, or who knows? It's a, it's a crapshoot, you know? Um, I've been to some that one day it's a really good meeting and then I go back, you know, the, the week later and it's like, am I even on the planet Earth right now? Uh, you know, and, and those groups, back to tradition four, have the right to do that. Back to tradition one, if I separate myself from those groups, I'm not going to have personal, uh, recovery. Tradition six, uh, I really like to look at it on the spiritual level. It's a lot easier and on the personal level for me to understand, which is that if any, if I put any problems of money, property, and prestige before my recovery, uh, I'm not going to have any recovery. You know, and that's why, like, I have to, I have to keep God in the 12 steps first in my life. You know, I can't put the girlfriend first. I can't put the job first. Uh, because if I don't put Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and God first, I'm not going to have those other things as great as they're going to be. You know, and, I've seen a lot of people struggle, especially around their relationships. Uh, either they come into AA in a relationship or they get in a relationship while they're in AA and, you know, and I've struggled at times with it. Um, you know, but whenever I, I put that other person first, my life seems to fall apart. Um, eventually, you know, especially when I put money first, uh, you know, and my primary purpose shifts, uh, into the job. You know, and working 70 hours a week, next thing I know, like, I'm not at meetings anymore, I'm not helping anyone, uh, and I wonder why I can't sleep at night and I'm exhausted. Tradition 7 is our, what I believe to be our only measuring stick in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if there's money, we can afford to run the meeting, you know, paying rent, the goodies that we have, giving the literature out to people. Uh, I love that our group gives out big books. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Uh, it talks about we should really keep low operating expenses. They're not low operating expenses, but to, to be poor is almost better. So the more money we can spend on literature to give away and things like that is really the better. We don't need a big prudent reserve. I think AA guidelines, and, and mind you, the guidelines are really up to us to do with what we wish, but they recommend something like two or three months operating expenses. Uh, in case something happens, all of a sudden we're not allowed to meet here anymore because people are sitting behind the desk or people are using this exit, um, which happens all the time and we're not supposed to do. And uh, But if we do that and, and Mary calls me and says, you know, Ian, you guys can't be there anymore. You guys got to go somewhere else. You know, if we have three months operating expenses, we can, you know, work with another group. If we have no money, sometimes it's harder to get in if, if people are looking for uh, rent at, up front or whatever. And... Um, you know, me and Lisa were talking before the meeting about uh, how it's this this measuring stick, you know, and if there's money there, uh, great example is Design for a Living. A couple of the guys said, what are we supposed to do about this meeting? I said, I don't know, shut it down. This was, I think, last winter, maybe, early last winter. I said, shut it down. And it was like four guys going to the meeting. Um, maybe a couple more than that, and they said, what do, we, what do we do? I said, shut it down. I said, no one's coming. There's no need. Shut it down. Well, one of the guys says, I think, and I think they talked about it in their group conscience, and, and what they decided to do is, well, we've got money. When our rent money goes away, uh, and we can't afford to pay our bills anymore, we'll shut the meeting, we'll humble each, close the meeting. Cool, rock and roll. 
I think they've been consistent with 30 people for like the past, you know, six months now. Um, you know, and, and who knows why that is. Uh, but if they would have shut that meeting down, then that meeting wouldn't be there. And it's a fantastic meeting. Uh, so now tonight we're going to talk about tradition 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Tradition 8, the long form, it says Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fees or higher. But we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have engaged non-alcoholics. Such special service services may be well recom, recom what's that word recom, recompensed. Jeez, uh, but our usual AA twelve step work is never to be paid for. This is kind of some people think it's pretty simple. Um, I mean, really, this this tradition is pretty basic. My AA twelve step work is never paid for. All right. I had the brilliant idea, like a lot of people do, uh, is to get involved into um, working in treatment, and I did for three years, and uh, and I was really clear where a lot of people aren't. It's crazy. I, you know, I worked in this place, and there was uh, six, no, eight full-time employees, not counting our boss, so nine people total. And I worked there for three years, and in the three years I worked there, uh, there were six people who relapsed. Turnover rate is extremely high. Um, and what was happening is that uh, they would say things, certain people would say things like, well, I have to give back, so that's why I want to work here. Like, well, I get that. But when I'm giving back and then collecting a paycheck, there's nothing in giving back because I'm there for the paycheck. I mean, I have to be honest with myself. A lot of people struggle with that. So people, whatever, relapse. And I never wanted that to be uh, my purpose for being there. I, want, I did want to help people, and I still do. Um, but I needed to be clear, so I, I stayed diligent with going to meetings, and I stayed diligent with carrying the message and sponsoring people. And, um, and eventually, like, I started to suffer the consequences. Um, in my mind, I was clear with what I was doing. I was clear that I was there for a paycheck. But in my heart, what I was doing... Um, was not worth the paycheck. Because in my heart, the things that I was doing at work, I knew I should not be getting paid for. Uh, because I knew in my heart that it's my job, it's my duty, it's my obligation to carry this message and to share these principles. Um, and in my head, I was trying to stay as clear as possible. Um, but as soon as we start to mix money into this thing, and there's you know letters, of, I, I think it's Harry Shoemaker, or Henry Shoemaker, some Shoemaker guy, uh, somewhere in here, um, talked about it and told Bill like that we don't want to mix money with this thing, and uh, like I can't like it's our God. These principles are our God given right. It's just that simple, you know. And as soon as I start to make money off of it, um, you know, things start to happen. You know, soon I'm going to be uh, able to do private therapy. And uh, if I if I opened up a sign that says um, Ian Cuck, personal therapist, and I put the circle and the triangle on it, 
you know, and then I have people come to my house and for $90 an hour, I take them through the big book. You would all look at me like I'm crazy and be like, you know, what are you doing? Yet there's treatment centers around the country that are doing that same thing. Now that's their business. Um, they're allowed to do that. Uh, but I don't, like, I can't do that stuff, you know, because it doesn't sit in my heart. Um, it says here in the 12 and 12, it says that, it says every time we have tried to professionalize our 12 step, the result has been exactly the same. Our single purpose has been defeated. You know, because as soon as I get involved with a job, you know, I'm there for money. You know, and unfortunately in today's society, I need money to live. You know, so 12 step work, uh, for me can never be paid for. It has to be for free and for fun, like Chuck C. always said. Um, but, it says our service centers may employ special workers. Down at GSO and in some parts of the country, they have intergroups. Um, we don't have intergroup, but intergroup is basically, um, I think it's a step between area and GSO. So we'll go area, intergroup, GSO. We have GSRs, which is the district. Then we have area. Then we have GSO. So there's another level in there. And at the intergroup, they pay, and at GSO, they pay special workers. Um, because there's people that, there's so much, like, mailings and postings that people need uh, to do this stuff, yet people can't volunteer all their time. And apparently, because of the nature of the work, they can't have just, like, a high turnover of volunteers coming in all the time. So they, they hire people, and they give them jobs, uh, and they pay them a fair wage to do so. That's what they're talking about, these special workers. Um but Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, this stuff that we're doing here should never be paid for. Um, and there's uh, a friend told me once that out in, I think it was Texas, somewhere out west, uh, that they were charging people, this group was charging people to listen to fist steps. Uh, you would write your fist step and then you would pay a certain amount to share that with your sponsor, with the fist step listener, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's crazy, like, but unfortunately, like, back to the fourth tradition, you know, that group has the right to do that. Um, you know, my sponsor talks a lot about spiritual consequences, and the fact is, is like, you know, everyone, for every action that we take, there's going to be a consequence behind that. Some consequences good, some consequences bad. You know, I can always ask myself two questions. Is this going to enhance or distract me from my primary purpose, and am I willing to pay the consequences? Um, I can pretty much every decision I make, I can back with those two questions. And my primary purpose is to help others uh, stay sober and live a happy, useful life through the 12 steps. Um, so is it going to enhance or distract me from my primary purpose? And am I willing to pay the consequences? Um, a lot of people should ask themselves that when they get involved in relationships with girls in detox and guys who are still in detox. There's a lot of consequences there. Um, <laughs> in line with the uh, with the special workers uh, their job was not to do 12 step work it was uh, to make 12 step work uh, possible and kind of like that's how I looked at my uh, my job when I was working at the detox, and I and I really believe I did a lot of things that uh, 
were very beneficial. Um, I was able to, a lot of the, the counselors who worked there knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous. I was able to inform them uh, a little bit. I tried to keep my opinions out of it. Sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, I was able to get people connected with sponsors, uh, and I would have people come in, and that's still something that we're able to do. There's a couple of the staff that call me if someone's looking for a sponsor, and either I go in or I get other people to go in there and, and talk to those people, uh, which is all like really valuable stuff. We were able to start a couple meetings in there and change some things around. and So uh, in my job, I was able to help this 12-step work, but I couldn't. Uh, really carry these principles to people. And, and I had to often turn people away and say, no, I can't help you. Uh, and then I would try to get them connected. And Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Tradition 9. The long form. All right. Each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is best. The small group may elect its secretary, the large group its rotating committee. In the groups of a large metropolitan area, their central or intergroup committee, which often employs a full-time secretary. The trustees of the General Service Board are, in effect, our AA General Service Committee. They are the custodians of our AA tradition and the receivers of voluntary AA contributions by which we maintain our AA General Service office at New York. They are authorized by the groups to handle our overall public relations, and they guarantee the integrity of our principal newspaper, the AA Grapevine. All such representatives are to be guided in the spirit of service, for true leaders in AA are but trusted servants and experienced servants of the whole. They derive no real authority from their titles. They do not govern. Universal respect is the key to their to their usefulness. So what does that mean, right? Um... You know, there's a lot of stuff with the, the trustees and the general service board that I'm just not very informed about. Um, you know, I have a friend who's a, he's a class A trustee. There's class A and class B. Class A are alcoholics, class B are non-alcoholics. He's an alcoholic. Um, and sometimes, like, some of the things that I've heard him talk about and the decisions that they make, you know, I have to ask myself, like, really, uh, they, they spend a lot of time on silly things? I don't know. Um, I know, like, if it has to do with, you know, big books being printed and pamphlets, and they deal with a lot of that literature stuff, and it eventually gets to the groups and goes back to them. But um, the fact is, is I can't, uh, I don't want to speak very much on that because I'm just not uh, informed enough to. I, I don't think I have an appropriate opinion. Um or any experience with it. But, it does say, uh, the basis of the tradition is A, ought, ought such be never organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. This uh, tradition talks a lot about leadership, and you hear people say all the time that there's no leaders in AA. It's not true. Uh, if you get out the service manual, uh, it's titled The Twelve Concepts for World Service, the AA Service Manual, and you read in the ninth concept, they're also, the concepts are also in the back of the big book uh, in the fourth edition. If you read in the ninth concept, uh, it talks all about leadership, and there's a, a article that Bill wrote on leadership, and, and I think it's titled Leadership in Ever Vital Need. There's absolutely leaders in Alcoholics Anonymous. The, the AA, the spiritual principles of Alcoholics Anonymous are not organized. 
Alright? There is not one way to work the 12 steps. There is lots of different ways. These are principles. Um, when, when the big book was written, they've been doing this stuff for four years. Alright? Obviously, when the big book started, if you look at the forward to the second edition, second, uh, edition, it like blew up and there was just all of a sudden so many more people getting sober. So there's obviously something pretty profound about the book. But the book is not the end all. Uh, there is lots of different, I went through this, the steps lots of different ways. Some were very useful. Some were not very useful at all. Uh, some were more confusing than anything else. Uh, and I think that's what we really have to look at, is that the spiritual principles of AA are not organized. If everybody was doing what I'm doing, I would have no one to help, and I would not be able to practice that 12-step. So really, I mean, there was a long time where I ran around AA, and I thought everyone should be a militant big book thumper. Uh, but the fact is, is like I would have no one to take through the steps if everyone was. So really, the fact that like people do it lots of different ways or don't do it at all is one of the greatest gifts that I've been given uh, because they talk about how the newcomer is the most important person. I don't necessarily mean think that that means they can just share and talk about whatever they want in the meeting, uh, but they're the most important person because they keep uh, the others, the rest of us, uh, alive by carrying that message. Um, With the, with the ninth tradition is that chaos is not a spiritual principle. Like, AA needs to be organized. If AA wasn't organized, we would have no one unlocking the door, we would have no one making the coffee, we would have no one paying the bills, we would, you know what I mean? It would just be like all this wishy-washy uh, stuff. The, the tradition talks about... Um, it talks about the leaders need to understand why they're leading. Is it for a pat on the back? Is it to say, look at me, look at what I'm doing? Or is it so the newcomer can stay sober? Uh, is it to be a service and, and to help this thing grow uh, effectively? I know a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who are leaders. Um, they lead by example. You know, they don't drive by mandate. They don't force people to do things. Um, you know, and our group has a lot of different leaders. You know, and I know other people in different parts of the area uh, who are trying to do the same thing that our group is doing, share this message of hope. Uh, and there's different leaders in each pocket. Um, you know, th- there's got to be, you know, or it's never going to form. It's, it's going to kind of be too wishy-washy. Uh, on page 174 in uh, the 12 and 12, it says, the same stern threat applies to the group itself unless there is approximate conformity to A's 12 traditions, the group, too, can deteriorate and die. So it sounds like if the group doesn't get organized and follow these 12 traditions, the group can, de- can deteriorate. So we of AA do obey spiritual principles, first because we must, and ultimately because we love the kind of life such obedience brings, great suffering and great love, or the A's, disciplinaries, we need no others. You know, and the fact of the matter is, like, if I don't apply these principles, the 12 steps or the 12 traditions, um, I'm going to fall apart, and I'm going to suffer the consequences. You know, and, you know, three and a half years ago, four years ago, uh, I thought that I had a badge uh, on my chest that said AA police. Uh, and I was going to go around and make sure you knew you were doing it right or wrong. Um, like the, I think the greatest thing about like this Sunday meeting, you know, we had like 
87, something like that, people. My friend Kent in New Hampshire jokes with me and tells me that I have a spreadsheet of how many people attend a meeting. <laughs> Some people think I do. <laughs> no one will ever know, will you? Maybe. Maybe I do. Um, so whatever, we had, you know, we had, we'll say close to 90 people tonight, and, and, uh, it's the only meeting I've ever attended that's been that big and stays on, on target. Always. And I said to Andrew, maybe, uh, a month ago, two months ago, I, I called him and I was worried. I said, you know, all these people are coming. I, I think what's going to happen in the meeting? Everyone's going to, it's going to go off topic and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and Andrew is usually the voice of reason and he says, you running the show or something like that? And yes, Andrew, I'm running the show. And, uh, I, I don't admit that to him, but that's what I think. And, uh, you know, and we talked about it and we talked about if the group members are really doing their job. You know, and trying to carry this message and to be a service, uh, by letting people know there's hope. Um, we're not gonna have to worry about if one person decides to talk about their problem of the day. You know, and that's what's happened with this meeting is every once in a while someone does share about their bad thing that's happened. Fine. Whatever. There's enough people who come to this group who are carrying this message and who are doing this thing that it always goes right back. You know, there was a time in a meeting, uh, like, I basically said to this woman, get out. Like, I, I literally, like, there was a lot of other things I said before that, but then I said, get out. Um, you know, like, where's the love and tolerance in that? You know, like, where's the love and tolerance? We talk about our 10 that Love and tolerance is our code. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm telling you that I've ceased fighting anything or everyone, yet I tell this poor woman in a meeting to get out because I don't like what she has to say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm completely delusional. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, crazy. Um, you know, it, it talks about how great love and AA's disciplinary is. We don't need any others. And what happened to me is that I wasn't following the spiritual principles. You know, I was trying to organize uh, the spiritual side of AA, which is the 12 steps, and I was trying to conform it into a box. Uh, and I was the one who started to suffer the consequences. And it got to a point... Uh, you know, with uh, three years of sobriety, because it was that basically year two to year three, and with three years of sobriety where I'm walking into meetings and people don't want to sit by me, people don't want to look at me, um, I share my hand, it's like, you know, people's eyes are rolling, um, you know, because I, I wanted to conform, I wanted everyone else to conform uh, to this one perfect way. You know, and I don't even take people to the steps that way anymore. Um, pretty similar, but I don't do it that way anymore. You know, so I've even changed uh, out of the rigidity. Um, all right, tradition time. This is fun. Um, no a group or member should ever in such a way as to implicate AA, express any opinion on outside controversial issues, particularly those of politics, alcohol reform, or sectarian religion. I think today it may be added in, like medication, therapy, like all this other stuff. The Alcoholics Anonymous groups oppose no one. Concerning such matters, they can express no views whatsoever. I have a lot of opinions. And anyone who wants to know about them, please give me a call. I will be happy to share my opinions with you uh, all day long. 
uh, in terms of Alcoholics Anonymous and coming to the AA group, uh, I've learned that I need to keep my opinions out of AA. So, I mean, really, the reason being is my opinions are subject to delusion. Um, and that's why they don't have any place in AA. Because my delusion, um, sometimes other people will fall into my delusion as well. Um, and then we're a whole bunch of delusional people who are stuck in one place. Um, you know, it, the basic, basic tradition, it says Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. I told you about that whole thing down south and that group and that girl, and um, if you weren't here, you'll have to listen to the tapes. Uh, you know, when when the media asked AA to report on that, well, what do you think? AA said, we don't have any opinions. It's, it's a controversial issue. We have nothing to do with it. That group is their own thing. We're staying out of it. Um, this is why uh, AA doesn't scold groups for doing things different ways. Because it's controversial. Um, it's recommended that we keep all of our personal opinions out of AA, especially around politics, religion, um, alcohol reform, so that would be like therapy, things like that. That's my belief what that is. You should probably look it up. Um, I asked this uh, guy once, I said, well, what about the person who says, you know, up here we have the... Uh, Who's got a problem staying away from a drink or living sober? And I said, well, what about the person who raises their hand and says, I don't want to drink, but... And then they go on to talk about whatever. And then the topic of the meeting becomes medications, or the topic of the meeting becomes relationships, or the topic of the meeting becomes getting a job in sobriety, uh, whatever. Because my, my opinion, right is that that doesn't necessarily belong. So the guy I was talking to, um, he says, well, who are you to say that that person uh, it may not cause them to drink? Who are you to say that that person says they don't want to drink, but maybe really they do, and they just don't want people to know? And I wanted to say, yeah, but. <laughs> but I had nothing to say. I had nothing to follow that with. Um, you know, for me, it's really important that I take the other stuff uh, to people like my sponsor, you know, my friend Andrew, my roommate. Um, for me, it's really important to run that other stuff by other people. You know, AA is really clear. We have no opinion on medications. None. And you always hear people talking, bashing this medication, bashing that medication, Talking, well, you can't, I mean, there was, there was a group of people, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago up here, who were really militant around medications, and were like sponsoring people, but as soon as they found out that someone was on medications, they would dump them, they, I can't help you anymore, um, they wouldn't take them through the steps, God's not going to come into your life, who, who am I to say, like, you've really got is everything, like, who am I to say that God is not going to come into this person's life whether they're on medications or not? And my experience is the people on medications 
and when I'm talking about medications, I'm talking really specifically around bup and suboxone. My experience is those people don't do very well. Um, there have been a few that have really applied these principles and their lives have gone on to be like really, really good. Uh, and eventually they get off the meds and, and they, cause they don't want to. Like when you really start living this, it's like, I really need to do this. Um, but who am I to say? You know, my experience is that I was taking some really heavy duty, uh, anxiety meds, um, the first like four, four to six months of my sobriety, um, heavy duty anxiety meds because I, I was in such bad shape when I got sober between the detox and this alcoholic induced anxiety. They called it. I couldn't get out of the house without shaking. Um, I forget about that. Uh, and I had a white light spiritual experience while I was doing my first fist up. You know, like who am I to say that God's not going to come into my life or your life? And I think what happens is these, these idiots, and I'll, I'll say that's my opinion too, but I believe they're idiots, start counseling people on medications. You should take, you should take more medications. You should get off medications. Um, and then what happens is we have these people who absolutely need some medications, drop off on their medications, and then they send them into a spiral. Because a lot of these medications today you can't just stop taking. Whether they're psych meds, whether they're depression meds, um, you know, and really I think there's only one thing that we can tell these people, which is you need to talk to your doctor about that. Um, you know, because I've met a lot of people in AA, and a lot of them are not doctors. A lot of them are not therapists, um, and don't have the, the educational background to do those things. You know, so that's like one thing where like we have no business. I was at a meeting God, a couple years ago, and the whole topic was on medications. You know, and there's like plumbers and, and homeless people and, and people living in the shelter and, and guys in the sober house and, you know, librarians and every other walk of life counseling people on what to do with medications. Now, I'm not going to go, if I really need to take meds, I'm not going to go to one of these people uh, and take meds. My experience is when I got sober, I was diagnosed with seven different mental illnesses. Uh, I was on a rainbow of different medications. Um... And when finally I got off those anxiety meds, I haven't had to touch a pill since. There was one point in time, you'll get a kick out of this, Woody. There was one point in time, a couple years ago, maybe like two years ago, three years ago, where I was starting to get this like intense anxiety. Like, I mean, it was starting to get really, really bad. I was still able to function normally in life, but it was getting really bad. And um, my sponsor had me write these uh, these sticky notes. This was my sponsor at the time. And I put them all around the house that said, anxiety is the price I pay for paying, playing, anxiety, anxiety is the price I play, pay for playing God. And, uh, I had them stuck all over the place. And what happened was, uh, through the course of that, you know, I was asking God to remove this anxiety. I realized that I was drinking a gallon of green tea a day. <laughs> Guess what? I stopped drinking the, the green tea, the anxiety goes away. Um, <laughs> And I was like, I was, I was crazy. Like I couldn't handle the anxiety anymore. I was thinking about getting on meds, um, you know. And, and the funny thing is, is when I take it in prayer and meditation, like all of a sudden the idea becomes obvious um, that I'm drinking tons of caffeine, and I wonder why I can't sit still. Right? I'm sure none of you relate to that. Uh, all right, tradition eleven. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, 
at another point in time this evening, um, it says our relations with the general public should be characterized as personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our names and pictures as AA members ought not to be broadcast, filmed, or pub- publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by the principle of attraction rather than promotion. There is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. So, a couple different levels. In a meeting, I can say my name is Ian Cuck. I don't because no one can pronounce the damn last name. Uh, you know? That's why I don't. But in a meeting, that is perfectly fine to do. Dr. Bob actually said that, um, that it was a violation of Tradition 11 if we didn't use our last names. Because then if something happens to one of us, we can't be found. You know, like, I can't go to the hospital and say I'm looking for Tim. Tim who? Tim. The guy who lives in Milton. Okay. Which one is that? You know, like, and this is why it's important to know people's last names. I'm always, you know, someone will say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And I'll, and I'll say their last name. And, and, and oh, I don't know anyone's last names. I said, well, then I can't help you. Because there's a lot of, you know, I think in my phone I've got something like six or seven Steves. You know, I can't put Steve AA, Steve AA with a capital A or capital A, big, you know what I mean? Like, I can manipulate it all I want, but eventually, like, I'm going to get confused on, like, who's who. Um, you know, so for me, it's important to use last names in the fellowship. Um, outside of the fellowship, like, I can't tell anyone that you guys are in AA. Like, that's a violation of this tradition. I can tell anyone I want. I can't tell any of you. This tradition specifically looks around um, film, publicly printing things. Um, anything public, they ask us to stay away from using our last names. Also, our pictures. So if my picture is on Facebook, and I send a thing to Tim, and I say... Tim, are you going to the AA meeting? Not only have I just publicly uh, blew my own anonymity, but I publicly blew his anonymity. I could drop out uh, AA and say, are you going to the meeting tonight? I've still broken his anonymity. Uh, In essence, I mean, people aren't stupid today. Everyone's going to meetings. Like, you know, it's like, guess where, well, what meeting? I wonder. Um, We're not that important, so it's probably an AA meeting. Uh, (laughs) You know, so I really have to be careful around that stuff. Like, I never put things, uh, like, headed to BYP, see you there. Like, I, maybe once or twice I have. Um, like, I, I probably have, like, I, I mean, I probably have, um, but I can't remember doing it. Um, certain people that uh, I'm really close with, I've seen them doing it, and I've shot them a message and kind of explained what they're doing, not to be like the police and not to, like, scold them, uh, but to inform them, because... What happens is people come in uh, and start doing what we're doing and get really excited because they're like, life gets so good, you know, so they, and they want everyone to know. But the problem is, it's like when I post on Nick's Facebook and say, hey, let's go to the meeting tonight or whatever, um, we start to break other people's anonymity. Nick probably doesn't have a problem that I know he's an AA. He clearly doesn't have a problem knowing that you guys are an AA. But what about his other 200 friends on Facebook? You think he's told every single one that he's an AA? Chances are probably no. Um, 
I know on my Facebook, uh, a lot of people from my previous life I have told, but I don't just sign on and when someone sends me a new Facebook request, I don't say, oh, by the way, I'm in AA. You know, like if it comes up, I'm absolutely happy if they say, what are you doing with your life? I'll tell them, no problem. But I don't just like randomly tell people. Uh, and I, and I kind of doubt you guys do the same. Uh, it goes on to say that, um, we think we ought to avoid sensational advertising. What you'll find is especially around, especially around the holidays, you'll see like uh, an ad with, usually it's like a blurry face with a weird voice, maybe a bottle tipped over, or someone saying like, my life sucked, I went to AA, and then it says like Alcoholics Anonymous in the phone number. And it, they're usually very short. There's nothing wrong with that. They're not breaking anyone's anonymity. We can't be so anonymous that no one knows we're here. You know, and, and this was where Dr. Bob didn't want Alcoholics Anonymous to leave Akron, Ohio. He wanted to be so anonymous. Uh, and the nature of it was, back in the day, everyone was coming in. Uh, they said they were low-bottom drunks. I think they were pretty high-bottom drunks because they were like lawyers and doctors. and um, So they're obviously doing pretty good. Uh, I couldn't even get a job. But, uh, they, you know, it's like I could cut grass for two weeks and then I would get fired. Um you know, so so in that sense, um, they wanted to keep the anonymity a little more private. But we we can't be so anonymous that people don't know we're here. Every once in a while, in bigger cities, you look in the newspaper and like they have like the events for the day types of things. And sometimes meetings will put a very little small block that says a meeting, six thirty, multi generational center. But there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if they take out a half-page ad and put, come to Burlington, young people, come one, come all, traditions, workshop, all that stuff, that's where we start to get into sensational advertising, and they want to avoid from that. There's a difference between public information and um, sensational advertising. Mind you, this is around our public relations. Uh, the literature, a couple quick things that the literature says... Um, as we found that we had to rely upon the principle of attraction rather than promotion, we knew we had to exercise self-restraint. Uh, and this tradition is a constant and a practical reminder that personal ambition has no place in AA. These were things that I needed to learn. Because as I've been talking a lot about like my personal behaviors in AA, um, like if what I'm doing is attractive, people are going to ask me, they're going to ask me about it. And they're going to want to know about it. If what I'm doing is not attractive, you know what I mean? No one's going to, everyone's going to stay away and um, that's been my experience. You know, so if what I'm doing is really attractive and I try to keep my, uh, I try to exercise self-restraint and try to keep some of my opinions out of it. You know, when I hear someone talking about how they've been working step two for two months, um, Try to keep my, try to keep my opinions out of it, right? Like I don't raise my hand. I used to raise my hand and basically smash their sponsor, uh, and tell them how their sponsor was an idiot and didn't know what they were talking about. I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to, you know what I mean? Didn't know how to exercise restraint of pen and tongue or any of that. Um, but when we talk about the idea of attraction rather than promotion, you know, when I share my message with love, it becomes attractive. 
when I share my message with hate or anger or hostility, it's not attractive. You know, and if I just share my experience with what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, um, you know, no one can argue with that. Nobody can argue with that. You know, and there's nothing uh, anyone can say to stop me from saying that. You know, and, and that, on my three year anniversary, I made a commitment with God that I wasn't going to share in meetings for a year, uh, unless I was called on or asked to speak. And I went from helping four people in the beginning of the year to helping 15 at the end of the year. You know, there was like four people calling me their sponsor. At the end of the year, there were 15 people calling me my sponsor from not sharing in meetings. Now, I'm not recommending that people should just stop sharing, um, but what happened is it got to such a place where I wasn't able to hear a message of hope, like not even a message of hope in meetings. Uh, I was so resentful. Um, so I stopped and I started to pay attention and I started to watch and I started to see that, wait a second, you're sitting in the back and you look miserable and I see you watching the clock, you know, and I, I start tuning out what's happening in the meeting. And if you know, like I always sit in a place where I can see the door and I get a general view of the room. Um, me and a, a close friend were talking about that. He has some practices in his life where that's kind of what they do. Um, and the idea is that uh, I can see what's going on and not so much listening to the people run their trap, but I can look for the guy uh, who's staring at the clock. You know, the guy who's looking at their watch. Not the guy who's looking at his cell phone because he doesn't care what's going on, but the guy who's genuinely like wants to leave and is scared. You know, I can see the person... Um, who's not, uh, doesn't have the light on. You know, and a lot of you who, who talked to me, uh, before or after the meeting, you all, you probably noticed, nobody has said anything, but you probably noticed that I'm never really focused on you. Like I do, I look at you, but I'm always like looking around too. I'm seeing what else is going on. I'm trying to be observant and trying to pay attention. Um, tonight I was sitting next to a new guy. I was doing something on my computer for somebody else. And I saw a bunch of new guys. I wasn't able to get to them. Um, so I shot a text message to two people, and those two people went and talked to them. Great things about technology. You know, because as I'm talking to a new guy and I'm doing something for somebody else, like I can't be everywhere at once. And that's kind of, um, maybe that's arrogant, maybe it's whatever. Um, but like if we're really trying to help these people, you know, not everyone is going to be able to see everyone. And I don't set out as like my personal job to like find every guy and see every person um but i need to be uh i need to be conscious and i need to be paying attention um i don't know how we got to that sorry uh tradition 12 and finally we of alcoholics anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance it reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are actually to practice a genuine humility. This to an end, this to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of He who presides over us all. So back to tradition four of the idea of group anonymity where everyone can kind of, every group can do what it's, it, it wants. The twelfth tradition is about me applying anonymity um, and seeking uh, humility through anonymity. I mean, I could talk about a lot of the great things that I do, 
It's not going to help anyone. That's why I talk about the dumb things that I did. Uh, there was a time around that two-year, three-year mark that almost... I can't even believe I did this. Uh, almost every single person I talked to in AA, I would somehow conveniently tell you how many people I was sponsoring. Um, no humility. Uh, completely filled with ego. Um, completely delusional. Uh, and the idea of this is that if what I'm doing, back to the traditional oven, is attractive, I can do what I'm doing quietly, um, I don't need to shout it from the rooftops. I don't need to say, look at me, look at how many people I'm helping, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I absolutely, I, I suffer these consequences dearly. I, I really do. Um, two or three months ago, I called my sponsor and I said, I did it. I counted how many people I'm helping. And, and I feel like a piece of crap. And um, what it started was somebody here heard a rumor and they asked me if the rumor was true, and then I started to think about it to see if it was true. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and what happens is when I do that, like I start to put me in the show versus God in the show. And if God's the sponsor, it doesn't matter like what we call the relationship we have. You know, and, and this is like I talk to this about everyone, and, and my sponsor talked to me about it. It doesn't matter what we call our relationship. You know, I would share these principles with you like I would share them with anyone else. Like I've shared them with my mother and a lot of other people. Um, it doesn't matter if we call it sponsor, sponsor. It doesn't matter if we call it spiritual advisor, friend. A lot of you call me an asshole. Um, you know, and, and that's the idea of like, if I'm just just trying to live this way of life. Like my actions are going to speak louder than my words anyway. Uh, and I'm not going to have to shout it from the rooftops of look at me, look at what I'm doing. Um, and my ego will wrap and attach to anything. And I, I mean, I feel like crap when I start thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's a really dangerous place for me to go. A couple things I want to read in here. In the 12 and 12, it says... First paragraph, it says, The spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. Because AS12 traditions repeatedly ask us to give up our personal desires for the common good. We realize that spiritual, the sacrificial spirit, well symbolized by anonymity, is the foundation of all of them. It is AA's proved willingness to make these sacrifices that gives people their high confidence in our future. You know, and that brings it back to what I started talking about in the beginning of tonight is about willingness. Um... And I'm going to go over so don't kill me. Uh, you know, I have to be willing to put aside my personal desires and ambitions. You know, the things that I think doesn't mean like my, the way I help people has to be subsided. Uh, but the way I think that you need to do what I'm doing. And when I start to share from a place of you need to do this, a place of, ag ag a place of, uh, arrogance, uh, and ignorance, um, like those are my personal desires and ambitions um, and I really need to be willing to put that stuff aside for the preservation of the fellowship um, and you know like what we've talked about and for those of you who have been for all three weeks is you know I've been bringing up a lot of the stuff that I've done um, I think I might have said in the original one it's going to be like doing a fist slap 
You know, like I don't want people to know these things. I don't, and a lot of you do. Uh, a lot of you have seen me. Some of you have, some of you have not. Um, you know, but these are like all experiences that I've had um, because I was not paying attention to spiritual principles. You know, I was trying to run the show. Uh, walking around saying I'm a recovered alcoholic, uh, yet completely the actor trying to arrange the whole life, uh, my whole life to suit myself. Um, it goes on to, on 185, it says, they had changed from AA members into AA show-offs, which is, is exactly what I was. I was an AA show-off. Um, every meeting I went to, I made it a point to tell you what I knew about the big book, and I made it a point to tell you how what you were talking about had nothing to do with the big book. Um, like I would, I would, I would sit in meetings and I would find, like you would share something, then I would find a place in the big book where it contradicts what you're sharing, and then I would read that in the meeting and then share. Um, you know, like, like it, it sounds like it sounds funny, and it really does, and it is. Uh, but I've seen a lot of people go through this. Uh, and there's a guy by the name of um, Don Pritz who passed away a couple years ago. And he always says, or what he would say about, um, you know, people have a spiritual experience with the big book, uh, and they get into that militant phase, and, and they become very intense. But if they don't have another spiritual experience, they're going to drink again. You know, and I've watched a lot of it. There's, uh, you know, the treatment center over in New Hampshire sends a lot of people up here. Um, and they come in, last people to show up, uh, first people out the door, recovered alcoholics, they'll quote the book. Where are they now? You know, I've seen a lot of them come. I was really threatened at one point when they were coming. Uh, I felt like it was an army. They were going to take over because they write, you know, their four steps are like three or four or five notebooks long. And, um, and I thought they were going to ruin AA and, uh, Really did, and um, you know, but but the fact is, is like uh, you were threatened too. I I don't even want to see that look on your face. You were thinking the same damn thing. Um, but the the fact of the matter is, like uh, like we can't like if I don't have another experience with these principles, whether it's the traditions or the twelve steps, and I and I try to through God's help and a sponsor try to get back on track. Um, I'm really off off the path and, and really looking at a drink. It says the phenomenon of contrast really set us thinking squarely before us is the question, how anonymous should an AA member be? Our growth made it plain that we couldn't be a secret society, but it was equally plain that we couldn't be a Van de Vault circuit either. Uh, the charting of a safe path between these extremes took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus, Woody. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're a trip. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's on tape, but I hope it is. Um, <laughs> God, you got me blushing. I can feel it. Um, you know, God, I was all serious. Um, I guess that was, that was good. Um, you know, it's like... Like, back to the idea of, like, just humil humbly doing what I do, you know? And if people uh, are going to ask each of us, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Um, I can tell them, um, but it's back to, like, my motives. Like, why am I telling them? You know, I talked to Andrew's sponsor last week about that. 
it's like a lot of it is like, am I looking for a pat on my back? Am I looking for some gratification? Um, or am I really just trying to, to share a message? Um, we simply couldn't afford to take the chance of letting self-appointed members present themselves as messiahs representing AA before the whole public. Um, I mean, not even the whole public, but before AA meetings, things like that. And then the last last part on 187 and the 12 and 12, it says, These experiences and all my experiences that I've shared have taught us that anonymity is a real humility at work. It is an all-pervading spiritual quality which today keynotes a life everywhere. Moved by the spirit of anonymity, we try to give up our natural desires for personal distinction as AA members, both among the fellow alcoholics and before the general public. As we lay aside these very human aspirations, we believe that each of us takes part of the weaving of a protective mantle which covers our whole society and under which we may grow and work in unity. We are sure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that Alcoholics Anonymous can ever have. And this is why it's so important that I just share my experiences. You know, I keep all my opinions out of it, or I try the best I can, and I falter. Um, at the group conscience, I definitely falter. You know, and uh, just to be another member of Alcoholics Anonymous. To not need to be a recovered member, or not need to be a recovering member, or not need to be an alcoholic and an addict, or an addict and an alcoholic, or a grateful alcoholic, or... Um, what'd the guy say tonight? I come from a long line of alcoholics. Whatever. Um, just to be another drunk in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, thank you guys for coming. Uh, I thank you for tolerating me going over. Um, it's really been an honor uh, and a privilege for me to be able to do this. Uh, and hopefully maybe next year Andrew will do this. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.